Okay, good morning, everybody. Hope everybody's doing well. Happy Thursday for those that are here live. For those that are watching at any time, happy whatever day it is. We've been speaking a lot about this idea of speech. Speech is arguably a most powerful weapon that we can deploy to achieve a great life. And in many cases, if we don't, we miss, not only do we miss the chance of being greater, but we, we, we block us. We block ourselves. We're sort of going down the road together. Those that are joining us now for the first time, welcome. If you just go back to a few episodes, you'll get the full extent of this. We started this new chapter this week. We're trying to explore together with God's help the power of speech. Both the power that we could measure and its impact on our minds and the power that we know, we learn from our tradition, from the spiritual world and its impact. So we've been really focusing on the impact that it has on our minds. And we have this part of ourselves that pushes back on change. It's the natural way we live. We want to be comfortable. We want to survive. We don't want to work hard. Because if we wanted to work hard and we wanted to be great more than anything, we'd be great. So there is this part of us that's ingrained and also conditioned to stay comfortable. And that part of us is a loud piece of what we end up dealing with when things get very difficult. If you've ever, like we'll use this example of running, if you've ever had a long distance run, your brain along the way is telling you multiple times, you got to stop. No, no, I know you want to, but you, you should just stop. It's better if you don't, and this, and that, because you're, 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 as you engage and challenge, a part of yourself is saying stop. And the way you overcome that is when you've already committed. So now that you don't have that excuse, and commitment should be when you speak. It's the bond that comes out of our mouths. And when you, when your words have bonding power, then you're able to take the thoughts the inspiration and convert them to real commitment and then be sitting in the driver's seat of what you have to do next. And we spoke about this idea and I want to thank the people. We'll talk about them more tomorrow that have reached out to me, Ken last night or Reet. Um, just thinking off the top of my head who a couple people reached out to me already that they've already, uh, I think Rebecca, they've already done a lot of the, writing down four things and it's either they've been doing it for a long time or they're doing it because what that's doing is it's placing the power. If it's not in my mouth, at least it's on a piece of paper and now it has to get done. And now all of a sudden I'm committing myself to something. And what's incredible is when you commit yourself to something, how much resources you have in your, in your, in your mind and in your power to get things done. But it has to be when your mind realizes that your words are your bond. And that applies both in the positive, but also applies in the negative, in watching what we say negatively about people. Because when speaking negatively about others, we're actually just bringing more negativity into who we are. So where we were until today was on the integrity of speech. What we're going to talk about today is 
How do we use speech that's not 100% true? Right? When we speak, we have to have integrity, which means we have to speak with a certain level of honesty. But if we know how to use speech properly, if we know how to use speech properly, then we could manipulate it even if it's not 100% true. Now, what do I mean? I do not mean lying to people. Right? I do not mean saying things you don't mean. I mean something called auto-suggestion. Or another way of talking about this is an affirmation. Now, the Navy, deal, Navy SEALs did an incredible study. And we spoke about this, I think, before when it comes to visualization. But in that process, there were multiple pieces to the solutions that they found. Remember, the Navy SEALs had, they're the, arguably one of the greatest fighting units in the world. So to get in is a really big deal. And they had these cadets that were training, and they would go really far. And then they would get to the end of this training, and there'd be this last um, test in which the SEALs had to just stay in the pool with basically oxygen tanks and then just hang out and then touch the floor and come up, right? Which to a SEAL is like, what are you kidding me? Like we survived hell week. You know, they roll around in, in, in sand and freezing cold waters. They, you know, the, hanging out in a pool with an oxygen mask is, is what they do for fun. But along the way, they send in these instructors that came down onto the water and basically beat these guys up and punched them in the stomach and ripped off their masks, right? And that sent all that amygdala, that amygdala hijack, panic, 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 panic. And they had to figure out how to not panic while not being able to breathe, while getting punched in the gut, while underwater. And a lot of them just swam to the top and failed. Now, the Navy SEALs weren't going to lower their standards. They were the Navy SEALs. And if you're a SEAL and you're in the water a lot, you got to learn how to deal with crisis in water. But they didn't want to let all these guys go. They were great cadets. They brought in psychologists. And the first piece of what the psychologist taught them to do, which we did here on the show weeks ago, was visualization. They had them visualize being in the pool while they were still sitting in a classroom before they got to the pool. And they visualized getting hit in the stomach. And they visualized feeling panic. And they visualized... And as soon as they started visualizing, now that we're together a long time, it makes sense, right? Because they created all this new neuro neuroplasticity that began to tell them that there were different pathways of being panicked in the pool. It's not just, you know, if you've never been panicked in the pool before, you're going to swim to the top. But if you've already seen this in your mind, and you're going to just figure it out. The second thing they taught them how to do for this particular exercise, but just, but just in general, was this idea of affirmations, which is, if you say something with enough conviction, even if it's not true, you will believe it. If you repeat something enough times, you'll start to believe it. And we can start to put the pieces together why that is. Because if you're going to say something, that means you have to develop some connection in your brain to utter those words. And the more you utter those words, the more you will have to make a, a, a neurological connection. And the more you'll have to make a neurological connection, the more those words will feel normal to you. And at the end of the day, most of the things we believe in are things that feel comfortable to us. We, we misunderstand belief. And we think belief is knowledge. They're very different. That's why people struggle a lot with God. Because they, they, they don't understand the difference between belief and knowledge. 
right? If I come to you and I say, um, I can juggle, and you go, no, you can't. You're like, no, I can. They're like, uh, and then I juggle. You're like, okay, I believe you. What, what means I needed to juggle a little bit, or I needed to prove myself to you a little bit in order to get you to believe me, which means belief is like the beginning of knowledge. If I'd come to you and say, trust me, I am your best friend. I can juggle, and you go, you're my best friend. You never lie to me. I believe you. That's belief, right? But Exactly. Lee Roger put in seeing, I, I don't see the full comment here. Excellent. Oh, you're so good, Lee Roger. You're right. Lee Roger's posted seeing is believing, but it should be believing is seeing. Very good. Very good. Right? Right now we say seeing is believing. It's not, right? Seeing is knowing. So if you just, if we can break it down together, you've got, you're saying something, your brain has to utter the words. So you're forcing your brain to make a connection. Because how else can you utter words if you're not creating a thought? So your brain is making a connection. I am strong. Your brain, and you say it with conviction. I am strong. And the more you say it with conviction, the more your brain is a computer. Your brain's not you. Your brain's your computer. So your computer's saying, okay, say you're strong. You're in the situation. I am strong. And then after a while, it begins to create a connection between being in a situation and being and feeling strong. And after a while, you just feel comfortable saying it. And then being strong doesn't feel too foreign to you. Right? Remember we spoke about this with regards to rituals, how there's this gap between where you are and where you want to go. And in this gap, you're fighting for how you feel. Right? If all of your life, you've every time you felt nervous, you reached for the ice cream. When you feel nervous, you think that you reach for ice cream. You don't reach for ice cream. Your computer reaches for ice cream because probably when you were like eight years old and you had a bad day and you sat down, your mom gave you ice cream. Then you were 10, 12, 15, 18, whatever it is. And your brain was like, I got it, ice cream. It's like when I drink coffee, I eat almonds. Look at my desk right now. Coffee. Almonds. You know why? Because wherever I travel, I eat kosher and I try to eat healthy. And most of the time, if you're healthy and kosher, there's not a lot of options on airplanes. So I have learned to drink a lot of coffee and eat a lot of almonds. I love it. That's what I do. But the minute I am eating an almond, my brain goes, you should get a cup of coffee. It's, it's all connections. It's a computer. So as a kid growing up, you reach for the ice cream. Now, if you're 35 and you've been reaching for ice cream for 30, 28 years, and you want to wake up and want to start losing weight, and you stop reaching for the ice cream... What's happening in your brain? Your brain's going, that's not you. So anytime you're in change, it doesn't feel like you. The period of change doesn't feel like you because what feels like you is just neuro connections. And you have to assert your dominance over where you want to be going enough times to where you go from, I only go this direction to, I have a choice to, I go this direction. And if you stop eating ice cream for a year and you feel nervous, it'll feel more like you to not eat ice cream. So we have to stop waiting to feel like something in order to do something. Because if we're always feeling like it, we're always going to revert back to yesterday. Now watch how this works with words. Well, actions create neuroplasticity. That's called rituals. But so do words. Words in some ways can be even more targeted than an action. It can be more responsive than an action. Think about the difference between how hard it is to go into a tough scenario and be brave 
which means you have to get through it so many times till it feels normal versus going through a scenario and say you're brave. It may not be as powerful, but it's much quicker and it's much more targeted. So what the psychologist taught the Navy SEALs that when you get onto the water, I'm strong, I'm strong, I can do this, I'm calm, I'm excited, I'm excited. Say the words. Even if your brain is going panic, 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 speak in your brain or speak if you're not, I mean, they've got a mask on underwater, but speak. And what you're going to be doing is you're going to be overriding the system because your brain can have a hundred thoughts at the same time. And if you're forcing your brain to say words, then your brain has to focus its attention on saying words and not rely on what it's using, which is I'm panicked. I hope this is making sense. So if I'm in a scenario where I'm walking around and I'm nervous, I'm getting up to speak and I'm nervous. Now, listen, the science shows that you should better say I'm excited than I'm calm. That's a different, I don't know if we did this or not, but that's a different thing. But okay, let's say I'm saying I'm excited. I stand up in front of a podium and I'm nervous, which happens all the time. And I say to myself, I'm excited. That's awesome. I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited. My brain can't go, no, you're nervous and you're excited. I don't have enough power in my brain to have two thoughts at the same time. So because I'm using my mouth, I am forcing my brain to say the words I'm excited, which then creates my brain to be forced to think I'm excited, which means now I can't spend any time thinking that I'm nervous. So now I'm standing in front of a podium and conditioning myself that when I get to that podium, I don't feel the feelings that I feel, the natural fight or flight mechanism taking place in my body, that doesn't equal nervous, that equals excited. You can override the inner thinking by speaking words that are not yet true to yourself and affirm them so many times where you're creating new neural connections in scenarios that you're in. That's called affirmations. I don't believe affirmations are you wake up in the morning and you say, it's going to be great. Now, there is an aspect of that. And if you feel down, but it's not, I don't find it to be very like in the future. If you wake up in the morning and you're down, say, oh, it's going to be great. But I find that affirmations are very powerful in the moment. In the moment. It's an honor to, it's an honor to be here. Sometimes I say this whenever God throws me a challenge, I'll say, it's an honor to serve the king. Because it is an honor to serve the king. And I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I, if, I, if I can feel it, it's a service to, to, to God, I'll do it. I don't 100% yet live that. I say it. If you're somewhere and you know how to use your mouth, you can override what you're feeling and condition yourself to overcome a challenge or to be happier than you would have otherwise been. This happens on so many levels. I want to go down one more level then. Now, there's another level to this. Maybe we should do, maybe we should do this next time. All right, let's do it now. Hold a little bit. There's another level. Watch this. You can hijack your words. Okay? So you spend t- 25 years of your life, and every time you say the word great, usually something good happened. Okay? So in your brain, when I hear great, it's usually connected to something good. What if something doesn't good happen? You say great. What happens then? What does your body feel? You, you know, stub your toe. Usually you're going, oh, man. Instead you go, awesome. What happens? Well, every time you said awesome until now, it's always been something good. But now you're saying awesome and awesome and good. So what does your brain do? So if you watch, your brain can't process the same depth of pain or the same depth of frustration. Forget physical pain, at least frustration. If you say awesome, because what you're doing is using a word that has always been used for good things. And your brain's like, wait, awesome? What do you mean? 
If we want to be happier people, we have to begin to use this thing called speech to force our minds to see good and to feel good. We don't have to wait for our bodies to catch up. We can use our speech to hijack the feelings or to present a rosier picture in our minds so that we can condition ourselves to be better. So if you're nervous or you're scared or you can't, you say, I can, I can, I can, I can. It's going to be great. Or I'm going to work my hardest or whatever the words you say in the moment. And if you say them with enough conviction, even if you don't yet believe them, to, to that extent, you can override the typical fears that are going on, but you can also use it to bring more joy. Remember, since the world has so much stimuli, anyways, we're choosing what to pick. When you walk into a room and you go and you look around, your brain may go, she did this and he did this and she did this. And you right away open up with, this is amazing. And you have now, you have to force your brain to find things that make it good. That happens all the time, right? If you're parenting a kid and the kid, you know, gets frustrated and if it were you, you'd be just as frustrated, but you got to be parents. So you're like, no, it's okay. And then you got to like convince the child why it's okay. And then you find yourself to some extent, if you believe, if you're doing it, that you believe it to some extent as well. All of this is using the power of our mouths, not to manipulate people, but to manipulate our own systems. Speech is a controllable thing that doesn't require that much effort, that has that requires our brain to work, that if we knew how to use it, we would use it in a way that can override some of our systems that are holding us back. So imagine as if you had to do a hard ritual and you can't get to it. Imagine as if your speech was so powerful that when you say it in a certain area, it's a bot, it goes on a paper, bond. And then when you get into the moment, this is, you know, in the future, then when you get to the moment, you have the right affirmations. You now are using everything that we got to overcome that ritual, to do it enough times till this feels like you. And now you're taking your brain and your mouth and you're using it to change your life. I learned this firsthand about eight, nine years ago, a good friend of mine bought me and him tickets to a Tony Robbins seminar. Have you ever been to a Tony Robbins seminar before? It's incredible. I, we went only for the first day. I think whatever, it was awesome. But was the highlight of that seminar was at the end of the first day, he makes you walk on coals. Yeah. Remember you walk on coals. So you got to walk on fire. It's like a one o'clock in the morning. You're downstairs in some like parking lot. And they're like, think about this, like lines and lines and lines of like 15 feet of coals and fire. You have to walk across. It's called the fire walk. Yeah. And he teaches you how to do it. And you're like, there's no way I'm doing it. First of all, when you're up in, when you're up in like the, uh, the, the conference area, you're like, ah, big deal. It's a second. It's a second. It's not going to hurt. Let's go. I got this. Right. And he teaches you when you walk across, you have to do some kind of stuff to keep you like, you know, excited. But basically the, 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 the information is when you walk across, say out loud to yourself, cool moss, cool moss, cool moss, cool moss, cool moss, right? And just say it. Don't, don't think. Say cool moss, cool moss, cool moss, cool moss. I don't know what moss is. I'm sure Leron maybe knows or, or Maxine or somebody, but like it, I, cool means if I, it's fire and I'm saying the word cool, my brain's like, wait, cool or fire? Like those are two, right? So I'm a big tough guy. I'm up there going like, I got this. Like, come on, come on. 
I can walk over five for two minutes. Like it's gonna hurt. I'll, I'll, I'll like, you know, jump around, then I'll leave. So then you get down into this huge area. I don't know if you guys have been there. And like it, people playing, you know, the drums. It looks, it, it, you feel like you're like a scene out of like some like, you know, ancient tribal ritual. And like, you're like, I'm not doing it. <laughs> like I'm looking at that fire going like 15 feet is longer than I thought. Like I, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not crossing that fire. And I stand by that fire. And like, and then I, I see like, there's like a wonderful woman in her seventies that just does it. And then like, you know, there's like a, a, you know, like a boy who's 12 and I'm like, ah, okay. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, and then the guy before me is a buddy of mine. The guy behind me is a buddy of mine. We're all competitive and it's your turn. You stand by the fire, right? In you stand by that fire and what are you going to do? And your brain's like, don't do it. 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 And all of a sudden you, you got to do what he says. So you put your foot down and you close your eyes and go, cool moss, 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 cool moss. And by the time you're done, it's over. Now there's a lot of science behind it. Cold doesn't conduct heat, but maybe another time we'll talk about why that works and why you don't really burn yourself. But the idea is so powerful. You're literally walking on fire and you're overriding your system with your words. Powerful. These words that we have, it's God's way of saying it. You can be great. Learn how to use the remote control right. Powerful stuff. And if we use it to say the things we need to say with enough conviction, it'll override our mind. Yep. All right, everybody. Thanks so much. Tomorrow we do um, Q&A. Tomorrow's Q&A Friday. I think by next week, hopefully, we'll have a Q&A section at the end of each of these uh, talks. I'm hoping to add 9.20 to 9.30 just for Q&A. Thanks for all those people that are... Um, that are that have been emailing really appreciate it and hopefully tomorrow we'll get to some questions thanks so much for tuning in today it's an honor to be with you and with god's help i can't wait to see you again tomorrow have a great day